We're in the gospel. We're in the epistles of John. So uh, let's uh, let's pray and uh, let's listen to what God wants to say to us all tonight as we look into His Word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you already for the the great worship time that we've enjoyed together. Lord, thank you for your presence here. Uh, what a great privilege it is to think that we're able to come boldly into the very presence of the Most High God. Help us to capture something of the uh, magnificence of that truth tonight. Help us to just enjoy and count the privilege of being a child of God. And Lord, that you would speak to us. And uh, Lord, we want to have ears that are ear, ears that would hear tonight, hearts that are open and receptive, and and a will that's so willing to obey and put into practice the things that you call us to do in our everyday lives. And that's what it's all about. So Lord, meet us. Thank you that you will as we turn to you now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Um, there's a young, young lady, young woman, who uh, wrote a letter to her ex-fiancé, and uh, she wrote these words. Dearest Jimmy, no words could ever express the great unhappiness I felt since breaking off our engagement. Please say that you'll take me back. No one could ever take your place in my heart, so please forgive me. I love you, I love you, I love you. Yours forever, Marie. P.S. Congratulations on winning last week's jackpot lotto. <laughs> Some of you laughed. It is a funny letter, but I, I wonder, as we look at that, as we think about it, I wonder if... One of the reasons it's funny <clears throat> is because we recognise that it actually does reflect something of our human nature. In particular, the way in which we do relate to each other, even at perhaps the level uh, in which we might love one another. I wonder if it kind of reflects something of that and kind of we, we laugh at the typicalness of that. So with that in mind, I, I have this question for us tonight. What's the difference between God's love and human love? What's the difference between God's love and our love? In his chapter on the topic of the results of sin and the effects on the relationship to other humans, theologian Millard Erickson writes these words, and it's fairly heavy going, and it'll get you thinking, uh, and you'll probably think and process it all through the sermon. I hope that doesn't happen to you, but listen to what he says in this particular chapter on this particular uh, aspect here. He says, finally, sin results in inability to love. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? Since other people stand in our way, representing competition and, threat, and a threat to us, we cannot really act for the ultimate welfare of others if our aim is self-satisfaction. And so suspicions, conflicts, bitterness and even hatred issues from the self-absorption or the perusal of finite values that has supplanted God at the centre of the sinner's life. Bit of a mouthful. Let me keep going. I think it gets easier. Sin is a serious matter. It has far-reaching effects upon our relationship to God, to ourselves and to other humans. Accordingly, it will require a cure with similarly extensive effects. Millard Erickson. So have a bit of a think about that. And the cross, 
Thank God for the cross. The cross is, of course, the cure, the cure. And when we embrace the cross and we die to the self and we live the new life given us by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then there are and there will be extensive effects, as Millard Erickson talks about. For example, what it means to practice Christ-like love. I can't go much further without referring to this well-known passage. If you want to know the definition or the great, a great description of, of love, then it's in this passage. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 8. I wonder if we could all read that together. Could you read it with me? Here we go. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. These verses describe Christ-like love in action. And what I love about this particular passage is that you can even exchange the word love up there and put Jesus there. It's all interchangeable and it wouldn't change the meaning at all. So you could be saying, Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. He does not envy. He, is not, he does not boast. He is not proud and so on. You go all the way through using the name Jesus. Completely interchangeable, I believe. You see, Christ's love... His life and his love was the perfect, is the perfect expression of what it means for his people, of what it means for his people to love one another. What does it mean to love one another? Well, just look at Jesus and how he did it. And I want us to look at three expressions of this tonight, myriad of expressions, but I want to look at three tonight, three of those expressions in the life of Jesus of what it means to practice his kind of love toward each other and the first one is this practicing christ-like love is about love that gives whatever the cost it's about love that gives whatever the cost 1 john 3 16 says this this is how we know what love is jesus christ laid down his life for us and we ought to also uh, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers Love, this kind of love, is costly. It's costly. You see, it's more than just emotional feelings. This kind of love is not just about words. It's an outward expression of action and truth, which we've heard tonight already. Actions and truth. Verse 18 talks about that. But before I go any further, I want to make some comments. I want to make a comment about just how words, how words can actually be an expression of love because in all fairness they certainly can be very significant expressions of love the right words spoken at the right time by the right person in the right way can be very very powerful expressions of love and we know that words can have the opposite effect too can't we just look at the footballer that we've got it what's his name again adam good look what's going on in his life because the opposite is going on here but words can be powerful expressions of love. Words can bring healing and comfort. 
they can be a tremendous source of encouragement and strength to a brother or a sister in Christ. For example, like this uh, little article that I found, it reads like this. Sometimes the simplest things we say convey the strongest messages to loved ones, says Boston marriage and family therapist Ellen Dunn, PhD. Some of these powerful words and phrases are things like this. These are simple little phrases and words. Let me, let me read some of the things that she suggested here. Things like, I'm proud of you. Uh, way to go. I really appreciate you. I really appreciate your help. You know, you're the best. And other words like awesome. Um, great job. I know that you can do it. Um, couldn't have done it better myself. Just simple phrases. Who can add some more to that quickly? Add some more phrases. Words that really do express love and concern or, or love and appreciation for someone. Anyone else got any suggestions? Brendan's got a whole lot of them. Brendan, what do you think, mate? <laughs> Anything else? Come on. Just a word or a sentence. What else would you say to someone to say, I really want to convey my love and appreciation to you as a person? Anything else? Some are saying it. Something to think about though. Words can be very powerful expressions of love when they genuinely come from your heart. All right, That's the important thing. When they come from your heart as a Christian and you mean it before God, then they are empowered by the Holy Spirit and that's when they're powerful. When he empowers your words and they're genuine and they're meant to lift up that person. Let me ask you tonight, when was it when was the last time you were able to say something like that to somebody? When were you able to use such words towards someone else? Maybe it's overdue. However, getting back to our scripture, in this scripture that we're looking at here tonight, when it says, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth, in verse 18 here, the words that John's referring to here, they're empty words, they're void they're void of any substance or commitment. But in contrast, we are to love with actions and in truth. Because the Lord, because, because love gives whatever the cost. 1 John 3:17. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? And then God's word in James says something very similar here. James 2, 15 to 16 says this. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go and I wish you well, keep warm and be well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? Remember a situation um, when we lived the gap many years ago. Um, we had a neighbour who just lived across the road from us. He was renting this house and I noticed after a bit of a period of time talking with him, he never had a lawnmower and of course they want you to mow the lawn if you rent a house. And he never had a lawnmower. Now at that particular time, for some reason, I don't know why, I had two. I had two second-hand lawnmowers. I used to collect them a bit, pick them up on the curbside cleanup. But I had two of these lawnmowers and uh, I just felt the Lord give me a nudge and say to me, why don't you give one of those lawnmowers to your neighbour? And uh, so I, I offered it to him. 
I thought it was only on a long-term loan. But he thought different. He loved that mower. He used it. And when he left the area, he took it with him. I got over it. But, I was, but you know, deep inside, I was pleased that he used it. It was something I could give, and this guy used it. There's something, and I'm sure there are many other ways. I'm sure you could be sitting here right now thinking of so many practical ways of practicing this Christ-like love. And it's about giving whatever the cost. As God's Spirit leads you, as he enables you, it's about giving, regardless of the cost. And it may be for you. It may be something like a gift of money. God may just give you a little extra and you might think, God, what would you like me to do with this? He may lay it on your heart to give it to someone else. Whatever God does, however he leads you. It may be a gift of time that you give someone. Sometimes that can be one of the greatest expressions of love is just giving someone a gift of your time. It may be doing some work for someone. The important thing is that we ask the Lord to show us what that means for me personally in your space. What does that mean? in loving someone like that uh, you might even you might even think about getting involved in the care networks that we're organizing and getting together in this church and I'm sure pastor David Daniels down the back would love to see you after the service what's the care network all about we'll ask David afterwards but look these are practical ways in which you can show your love for Christ and for your brothers and sisters. Jesus says this in, Luke, in John's Gospel 13, verse 34. He says, You must love one another as I have loved you. And that's the love that gives whatever the cost. The second thing we want to say tonight is practicing Christ-like love is about love that forgives whatever the hurt. Can you see how different God's love is to our own? Forgiving, whatever the hurt. In the fourth chapter of 1 John, it reads like this, verses 10 and 11. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If we're going to love with action and in truth and put into practice loving one another as Jesus loves us then it also means that we are to forgive one another as Jesus forgave us even though because of our sin we so deeply hurt him deeply hurt him and yet he was prepared to forgive us he forgave us and his word encourages us, his word inspires us to do the same. For example, let me read this to you, Hebrews 12 and verse 3. To inspire us, to encourage us, he says this through his word. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you, so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him who endured like we will never be able to endure, like we'll never be asked to. Let me ask you this tonight. Oh, let me just read one more scripture before I ask you this question. Colossians 3.13. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievance. Let, just kind of let these words roll around in your mind a bit tonight. 
Look at these words. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievance, whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. There's the standard. How do I forgive? Well, as the Lord forgave you. How does he forgiven you? I don't think God's held anything against me. So let me ask you this. Is there anything that you have done which has hurt God so badly that he just can't forgive you of that particular thing? What do you think? Because I have to say, and you've probably heard people say the same thing, that there are people who think and say things like that. And how tragic it is for them. How devastating for them. How crippling for them to believe this lie. And it's a lie. And there's no guessing who the originator of this lie is. Maybe you've heard people say, you know what, I've just been so bad. And I've done so many bad things that God could not possibly forgive me. Could not possibly love me or accept me. And my question is, where do I read that in here? Is it in here? Where do I read that sort of rationale, that kind of thinking? You see, in my Bible it reads this way. In 1 John 1, for example, 6 and 7, it says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Purifies us from all sin. All sin. So that must mean then that everything I have ever done to reject, to hurt and offend God has all been forgiven. Is, is that how you understand that to be? Hmm. It's a good message to pass on to those around you who may be thinking and even saying these kinds of things. God couldn't possibly forgive me if you knew what I'd done doesn't matter what you've done the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin why don't we read the next few verses from this same passage it goes like this verse 8 if we claim to be without sin we've heard this before it's good to be reminded of it if we claim to be without sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us if we confess our sins he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from finish it with me all unrighteousness how much unrighteousness yeah that's exactly it it's he purifies us from all unrighteousness dear friends says the word of god since god so loved us we also ought to love one another and that also means then, since God so forgave us, we also ought to forgive one another. Is that how you read that too? So in the light of this then, let me ask you this question. Let me ask you another question here tonight. Is there anything that anyone else or someone else has done to you that has so hurt you that you simply just cannot forgive that person of that particular thing? That's it. No more. I've been there. I've done as much as I can. You've hurt me for the last time. That's it. No more forgiveness. 
Is that loving that person and forgiving that person as Jesus does? Is that his standard? And I don't know about you, but I've got to be honest, for me, what I've just said here is a very confronting and yet necessary question to ask yourself. Is there anything that someone's done to you so badly that you just simply cannot forgive that person? I don't want to make it simplistic because some people have been badly hurt, badly hurt. And it may mean a period of time to heal and restore, may even counselling. There's those kinds of things I know that goes on and it needs to go on. So I don't want to simplify this, but their willingness to forgive. You see, the scripture also says this. Let's just think of the Lord's Prayer, for example. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, when we see the Lord's Prayer, let's just look at those words a little bit more deeply here tonight. Luke 11.4 Luke 11, says this. This is Jesus modelling this prayer for us. He says, forgive us our sins. And look at these next words. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. You see, practising... If we're going to be fair dinkum about practising Christ-like love, it's about forgiving whatever the hurt. We need to forgive. We need to forgive. If not for the benefit of the person that we need to forgive, it's for our benefit. We need to forgive and be released from bitterness, from anger and any deep hurts that may have scarred you. Yep, scarred you physically, scarred you emotionally. We need to forgive so that all that stuff can be released from us because it's poison in your system. I think you know that. That needs to be released. Forgiveness does that. It gets that process happening. God's in there with you. You need to release bitterness and anger and all of those deep hurts. And you may be carrying scars. If you are, just remember Jesus is carrying scars as well. You know, when we forgive, it releases us into the loving and healing arms of the Lord Jesus. A God who cares so much for you. A God who cares for you powerfully and passionately. And he holds his arms out to you and he says, run to me, come to me, those who are laden and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. And you need to talk to him. You need to run to him. Don't run away from him. Run to him with your hurt. Run to him with your pain. Say, Lord, I need you so much. And he's there for you. He's there for you. And he will see you through that. Whatever that process is. Thirdly, thirdly, practicing Christ-like love is about love that keeps on loving whatever the response this is Christ-like love. This isn't human love. This is spirit-empowered love, which God wants us to be empowered with, and he will, as we centre ourselves on him. Practising Christ-like love is about love that keeps on loving, whatever the response. See, it's not a matter of, I'll love if I'm loved in return. Or yes, no worries, I can love if they're nice to me. If they're lovable, if they're nice people, I can love them. Whenever you put the word if, well then you've just thrown a condition in there. And the fact is that when God says to his people that we are to love one another, it's a command 
It's not a request. Nor is it based on conditions. Look at the scripture again. 1 John 3, 23, 24. Look at what he says. It's pretty clear. And this is his command. To believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him. And he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. And it's only by his spirit can you love people the way he loves them. It is not a human natural thing. It is him living in you, loving through you. So we also know that practicing Christ-like love is not only about emotions and feelings, but it's more about attitudes and actions. Attitudes and actions that seek the best for the other person, not for yourself. Loving isn't about what you're going to get out of it. It's about loving that person regardless of what their response is. It's about loving them in obedience for Christ. It's about loving them because you love the Lord Jesus Christ first. He's your first love. And he commands us, love that person. Lord, show me how to do that. Fill me with your love so I can do that. Because it doesn't come from me. It comes from you. I need your power, Lord. You pray a prayer like that, live like that, you'd be surprised what God can do in and through you. Someone else has said this. Christian love is not an impulse from the feelings. It does not always run with the natural inclinations. Nor does it spend itself only upon those for whom some affinity is discovered. You see, it's not a matter of that person changing their ways, changing their attitudes, changing their behaviour. Or that they become more lovable before you can love them. You see, that's conditional love. Where would you and I be today if God loved us that way? What if he had conditions on the way he loved us? Where would we be? But he didn't have conditions. And he didn't give up on us either. So let me ask you tonight. So who's God been talking to you about tonight? What names do you think God's been bringing to your, to your mind about, about your circle that you operate in? Circle of influence amongst your own family and friends? About practising this, this aspect and the other aspects that we've talked about of this Christ-like love. I wonder if names have come to your mind tonight and whether God will bring those to you. And I want to ask you this. This is a challenge for us tonight, for all of us, including myself. None of us get off the hook here. Will you trust the Lord this week? Why don't you trust him this week? Trust him to help you to put into practice his kind of love. The world's sick to death of its kind of love. People aren't satisfied with that. People are looking for something that's real and that works and that changes lives. Christ's kind of love does. Where are they going to see that in action if not through his people? Will you be a vessel for him this week? Will you say, Lord, here I am, 
scared to bits, not quite sure how to do this, but I'm here for you. Will you be willing to be his vessel this week for someone that comes across your path? And you need to remember, you can't do this, but he can and he wants to. Are you willing for him to use you to do that? I want to finish, um, have I got time? Yeah, why not? I want to finish with something from Max Licardo. I love Max Licardo's uh, writings. This is called A Love Worth Giving. You remember how we read together 1 Corinthians 13 earlier this, tonight? This is what he says. He says, let's rewrite 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 8 one more time. So he's obviously done it a few times in this book. He says, not with your name or Jesus' name, but with both. Read it aloud with your name in the blank and see what you think. Now, this is going to be tricky, but I want us to try and do this tonight. This is how it's going to go. Thank you. Christ in me. So I want you to put a name in there. Christ in, put your name in there right now. Say your name out loud. Just, can you hear that? Yep. Christ in me is patient. Christ in me is kind. Christ in me does not envy. Christ in me does not boast. Christ in me is not proud. Christ in me is not rude. You're saying it with me? You're getting the idea, aren't you? Christ in me is not self-seeking. Christ in me is not easily angered. Christ in me keeps no record of wrongs. Christ in me does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Christ in me always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Christ in me, it's powerful, isn't it? Awesome. This is what God wants to do in your life. This is what he, can, he just goes on and says this. Will we ever love like that? Will we ever love perfectly? No. This side of heaven, only God will. But we will love better than we have. When kindness comes grudgingly, we'll remember his kindness to us and ask him to make us more kind. When patience is scarce, we'll thank him for his and ask him to make us more patient. When it's hard to forgive, we won't list all the times we've been given grief. Rather, we'll list all the times we've been given grace and pray to become more forgiving. We will receive first so we can give later. We will drink deeply from heaven's endless love. And when we do, we will discover, and I'm going to put my words in here, what it means to practice Christ-like love. Amen? Not going to be easy, but it's doable. And it brings us to that place where we are cast back on the Lord and saying, Lord, I cannot do this, but I know you can and I know you want to. Here am I. Let's do this. Let's glorify your name. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thanks for the... Your encouragements, Lord. It's, um, if we're honest, Lord, it's scary. But uh, we want to thank you that we have you, a great friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and grieves to bear. Lord, what a privilege it is as we think of that, to carry everything to God in prayer. Lord, and we want to carry ourselves to you. We just want to lift up 
uh, our hearts to you tonight and say, Lord, would you strengthen us? Lord, would you help us? Lord, would you fill us with your spirit so that we can love like you did? We can practice this true, authentic Christ-like love and put into practice all the dimensions that we've been speaking about tonight, Lord. Help us to be living examples of the difference that Jesus makes when a human being surrenders his or her life to you. And we're in a world, Lord, that's so desperately needy, so needy, and you've put us in contact with people that you would have us shine our light to, that you'd have us to love with that kind of love, your kind of love. Empower us, Lord, to do that this week, and may you receive all the glory and the praise. And God's people said, Amen. Bless your church. Thank you.